You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Good morning, Robert Carrillo here at Metro Vision Studios, and we are marching through the end of John. We're up to the cross now, and uh, it's a big chapter. This is uh, 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 the, the, the key point where everything happens, uh, chapter 19, and uh, everything's been leading up to this. If you remember that uh, it was way back in uh in the earlier chapters of 12 and 13 where where we're already heading to Jerusalem and we're already on our way to Jerusalem so half the gospel of John is about this week about what happened and pulling up to the cross and Jesus crucifixion let's go ahead and say a prayer and then we'll jump right on in let's pray Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for all that he's done, all that he is. Thank you for his love and his devotion and all that he went through, God. And as we read about this, uh, everything from the trials, the false accusations, the betrayal of Judas, the the disappointment of his of the apostles all abandoning him, we can only imagine how hurtful all this was. And we thank you, God, for Jesus who who just stuck it out, who didn't quit and kept moving forward and went to the cross and gave his life for us. We're so grateful for that. Help us, God, to be grateful people, Father, and live our lives gratefully. We thank you for this study. Please bless our study. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so chapter 19. Um, so Jesus has already been taken to Annas. Um, then he was taken to Caiaphas. And now he's taken to Pilate, who is the Roman official in charge over Jerusalem. And why do they take him to him? Well, because they can't kill somebody. They have to have only the Romans can kill somebody. And they want Jesus dead. They they absolutely want Jesus dead. They bring in false accusations. They do all kinds of crazy stuff to, to find him guilty. Um, and that's... You know, that's there's not a whole lot of de- surprisingly, there's not a lot of detail in this gospel as much as there is in Luke and Matthew. Um, but here we go, chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in his face, in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. Then Jesus, when Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate asked to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and the other officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him... You, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. You know, the, the, um, it's always a very interesting thing, the whole role that Pilate plays, because 
Pilate, you know, first of all, he's got his wife, which is not recorded here, but his wife telling him to let Jesus go, that she'd had a dream about him and that she thought Jesus needs to be let go. He needs to be set free. Um, and, and clearly Pilate has doubts about the whole thing. So you, you get the feeling he's trying to appease the Jews by having Jesus flogged and beaten. And it's amazing because it's just a sentence here. But the reality of a flogging is brutal. It's horrific. Um, if you have never seen The Passion, I would absolutely recommend that you watch The Passion. The Passion is a movie about the crucifixion of Jesus. And, you know, it was very criticized, heavily criticized for being too graphic and too gory. But the truth is, when a person was flogged and crucified, it was graphic and, glorious and gory. I mean, it was just, it was horrible. I mean, people didn't last long on the cross because they were beaten so bad by the time they got to the cross. And, and there's no soft way to do this. There's no, there's no Disney version of the cross. This is, this is raw. It's brutal. It's ugly. And, you know, I've often thought, you know, why, why does God make Jesus go through something so intense? Why couldn't it be lighter? Why couldn't it be just the flogging and they let him go, you know? Um, why did it have to be so ugly and so brutal? But then I often, but then I think about how we question God's love. We question his commitment and we don't realize the value of somebody being committed to us to this degree that he clearly showed that he's in it for us all the way, even though he would suffer horribly. Still, he was in it for us. And really, if you really consider all things, there's no way you can doubt his love. There's no way you can doubt God's commitment to us. Not for what, not when you think about what happened here. He lived out his final, complete, and total commitment to him, to us. And you think about how Jesus must have felt. Not only, not only is he betrayed by his people, Annas, Caiaphas, um, the, the, the Sanhedrin. But then he's betrayed while well, he's, he's beaten by the Romans, the, 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 the occupiers of his country. Um, and it's a horrible beating. And then he comes back and the people, the people, the people, the crowd of Jerusalem, they're yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Remember, it was one week earlier. One week earlier, that same crowd was yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, and waving palms and welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem. How tragic, how, how horrible this was. And Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. Pilate was like, I'm done with it. I'm, I'm out here. And they, they wouldn't have it. They wanted Jesus dead. And when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave no answer. Do you not refuse do do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate asked. Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. I therefore the one who handed Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. You know, that ba- ba- I, lo- I love it 
you know, Jesus' confidence always, you know, it's like you, you only have the power that you're allowed to have. That's it. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which is an Aramaic Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. You know, Pilate, he, he, you can tell he's, he's wrestling with all this. And he's trying to decide whether he's going to let Jesus go or not. And if anything, the, the Jews shouting and, and the leadership of the Jews push him back over to, yeah, he's going to crucify him. And people always say, well, Pilate washed his hands of the whole situation, literally washed his hands of the whole situation. But does that make him innocent? No, because he didn't stop it. He could have stopped it, and he did not stop it. He let the people, the crowd, have their way. He was afraid of the crowd, clearly. And he gives in, he capitulates them, even though he knows he's doing wrong, even though he finds nothing guilty in Jesus, no crime in Jesus, but yet he gives in to the crowd. And, you know, it's funny because I just did a thing on, on, on justice in the Bible. And one of the commands is that you do not give in to the crowd, that a trial must be fair and it must be right, no matter what the people want. God had thought of this long before this. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing it into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scriptures might be fulfilled that said, They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers said. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom Jesus loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this, this disciple took her into his home. You know, Jesus being the eldest son was responsible for his mother and wanted her taken care of when he would be gone. And so, of course, he takes care of her. He, he in sense, entrusts her to John to make sure. 
And then it says, later, knowing that everything had now been finished and that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. You know, there's only, there's there's a total of seven things Jesus says on the cross. And they're recorded in the different gospels. John only has two of them. He has, I am thirsty. And, and keep in mind, he has said he is the water of life. He has said that. He, that was one of his titles. And here the water of life is saying, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked the sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. But when he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He says, It is finished. It's The phrase is tetelestai. That phrase is loaded with meaning. Tetelestai is the stamp that a a merchant, when he stamps something, is paid. It says tetelestai. A debt has been paid in full. Jesus said, it is finished. The debt was paid in full. Whenever uh, uh, an athlete would run a marathon or run the games, the Greek games, when they cross the line, they yell, Tetelestai, which means I've done it. I did it. I did what needed to be done, or I achieved my goal. I'm I'm finished. Same idea, Tetelestai. When one was trading in a business partnership and one person's getting a bunch of product, another person's giving it away, once they're even, once it's all squared away, they'd stamp it tetelestai, that the deal is done. The 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 whatever was owed was paid, whatever whatever's is 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 supposed to be given was given. It has all been given. It's tetelestai. And there's other meanings, but those are some of the primary ones. The word he says, the word that's recorded there. Is a very powerful word. It has, and it's rich with meaning. And it says, with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation and the next day was to be the special Sabbath because the Jewish leaders did not want the body left on the cross during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldier therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may also believe. These things happen so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. You know, he, he gives a detail of once Jesus dies and, and, and they don't break his legs because, well, that, that's one of the prophecies that none of his bones would be broken. But they do pierce him in blood and water, which is a sign of death come pouring out. And, um, and they're all there looking. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. 
Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leader, leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about seven, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. And the palace where Jesus was crucified was was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which he, which no one had ever been. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. I mean, it's interesting that Joseph of Arimathea and and um, and Nicodemus, two of the older, well, probably wealthy men, they take the body, and they prepare it for burial, and they get the body all ready for burial. Um, and and that's where they laid Jesus. So you know the 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 it's 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 kind of amazing to me how how quickly we go through this in one chapter, the greatest event in history, and it's in one chapter. But you see how Jesus just gave himself to it. He didn't argue with Pontius Pilate. He didn't try to get out of it. He didn't try to prove he was innocent. Not not at all. He he just he accepted it. This is what I must do. I must suffer for the people. And, you know, I've always said that this is what I think is the basis of leadership. Is that of good leadership, I should say. Is that you love God and you love people enough that you're willing to suffer more for them. You're willing to stay longer, get there earlier, lose sleep, work harder than most. You're willing to to do whatever you've got to do to serve God. And that's what a leader leader does. A leader denies themselves when they don't want to do it anymore, when they get when they they even doesn't give in to rebellion or laziness or any of those things. A leader just keeps giving no matter no matter how much they suffer. That's one of the keys of leadership is your willingness to suffer. Jesus clearly uh was an example of that and was willing to suffer a great deal so that you and I could be right with him so that you and I could have all our sins forgiven and that there be no doubt of Jesus' commitment or his love for each of us. So we'll, we'll go ahead and stop there. I mean, that was, you know, it's, it's a little bit shorter, but I don't want to, I don't want to just move on because I think that we need to think about what happened in that chapter and why Jesus gave his life for you. What is it about you? And what do you, how do you show your appreciation to Jesus for him giving his life for you? What do you do for Jesus? And just pure gratitude. So thank you, and we'll stop there. You've just listened to the Metro LA Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com.